Today's scripture reading is from John 4, 20 to 26. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today. My name is Anthony Gamage. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, where we exist to know Jesus and to make him known. Uh, I want to just draw your attention to, um, we're going to be in John chapter 4 here today. And so if you have your Bibles, devices, whatever you may have, go ahead and open to John 4. It's in your bulletin as well. And and today's going to be a short one for me. Some of y'all are like, oh, amen. Um, But... um, (laughs) But uh, today we're going to be kind of a, just a short time in John 4, and then we're going to move uh, to a, a very important aspect of our body life, and it's uh, the ordination and installation of a pastor, uh, and Dave Hopping. And so that's going to be really the majority of, of the end of that time here towards the end of the service. But today we're really going to be in John chapter 4 uh, as we're continuing through three weeks looking at uh, Jesus' engagement with the Samaritan woman at the well. So last week we looked at um, living waters that were flowing to the marginalized places. We spent a lot of time uh, considering who this woman was and, and Jesus going to her. Uh, today we're going to look at some of her responses and consider how we might be uh, more like her when, uh, than we think. And then next week we're going to see the impact that the gospel had on her and her impact uh, there on her village and how the Lord restored her to community. But before we jump in here today, uh, I'll tell you a brief story about uh, a friend of mine. His name was Jim Hatch. Uh, He used to visit us in our uh, apartment there in uh, St. Louis. Some of you might know Jim or you might know his son. I think he works uh, for an organization that some of us are familiar with here. But Jim would come over and whenever he would show up at our apartment, my kids would come running out of their bedrooms because they were excited that Jim came. And it was because Jim would always give them a mint right? They just knew Jim would bring a mint. And he did it in a, in a very fun sort of way. So do you remember the quarter behind the ear trick? Uh, do you know what I'm talking about with that? I'm going to attempt to do a version of it up here. So if I blow it, if I drop the quarter, you know, just, just you know, it, it is what it is. But, but Jim would walk up and he goes, look, here's the mint. And they're all like, oh, there's the mint. And then he'd take it and he'd go like this and, and he'd go, okay, all right, blow on it. And, like, and he'd just go like this. And he's like, where is it? And then he'd go and he'd reach behind their ear and then he'd pull out the, the coin and, and they'd just be like, yay, give me the mint, right? And so, you know, he'd, he'd give them the mint and, and they were all excited. Now, uh, you know, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to totally blow the trick for you. I know some of you, Thanksgiving, you know, you're visiting, you're like, don't blow it for me with my grandkids today, Gamage. Don't, don't ruin it. But, but I'm just going to say one thing. That little on the hand, that's, that's misdirection right? You're, uh, you're taking your attention elsewhere as magic is happening behind the scenes. I'll let you figure out what it is in case you didn't when I was doing that amazing magic trick here just a moment ago. But here's my question I want us to wrestle with just briefly this morning. Do we do that to God? Do we do that to God? Do we, do we practice some sort of misdirection with God, thinking 
that we can fool him. Here's where I'm going with this. There are times in my life, and I'm sure many of ours, where uh, there's this tug, right? So I'm, I'm growing in anxiety, and I feel the Holy Spirit just kind of just kind of tapping me, saying, hey, I want you to give that to me. And I'm like, I don't want you to mess with my quarter, right? Um, so, or maybe there's a time where our life is clearly not in line with how God wants us to live our lives. And, and so he's tapping us on the shoulder, and we're like, oh, here, blow here. Yeah, oh, look, where'd it go? I don't know. Or maybe for some of us, uh, we need to actually accept grace for the first time. We've never turn to the Lord, but man, we just keep sticking around and, and hanging out with these Christians who keep telling us about grace and the gospel, but, but man, we feel that tug, and you know what, though? We just, we don't want to admit, first of all, that, that we're broken and we need saving by a Savior, and so we just run uh, a form of worship misdirection with the God of the universe as if we can fool Him. So let's reveal where we've been here in the book of John, just very briefly, at least the big picture, all the way back to week one. We said John's a pretty easy book to understand why he's written every single story in this book, because he tells us literally the purpose of this book is X at the end. You remember it. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things, the woman at the well, Nicodemus, are written so that you may believe two things that Jesus is the Christ, that means Savior, he came to save us, which means admitting that we need saving, right? And second, that he is the Son of God, which is shorthand for saying he is God, he is Lord, worthy of us bringing our whole lives underneath and in alignment with, so that by believing we may have life, that's eternal life, in his name. So, so those two things, John, every single word here, through the power of the Holy Spirit, John wrote down so that we may believe that he is our Savior and that he is God. Full stop. That's true here. So a fundamental question that we must ask in every story is, do I believe these two things? And where in this passage do I see these two areas of it at work? And where might the Holy Spirit be prodding us and saying, yeah, Like, I don't want you to try to draw my attention off the thing I want you to deal with. Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. Here's what we talked about last week. Bottom line, Jesus is living water. It flows to the margins. We saw this through the woman at the well. Uh, We see uh, where the, we see that the living water essentially means God's Spirit that He sends to transform us, to cleanse us, to satisfy us. And really, He was He was uh, with the woman at the well going to her and saying, hey, um, you need living waters because you're going to these broken cisterns. You're trying to quench your thirst from water that's at the bottom of this cracked well that's supposed to hold clean water. It's run out and you're just trying to satisfy yourself by just kind of scooping in muddy water in your mouth and, and it won't satisfy. But I will. He went to a woman who was hated, found herself in an inequitable place, who was experiencing shame, and guilt. And so that's where Jesus goes. Now here's the thing. Last week we talked a lot about her situation and, and the beauty of Christ going to these places. But, but today we're, we're going to look at her response. And I got to admit to you, uh, this woman at the well, she's a little squirrely, right? She's trying to avoid Jesus at all costs. He's, he's trying to say, I'm living water, I'm living water. And he says, you're going to a broken cistern with this man you're living with. And she's like, oh, look over here, right? The whole time. Let me read a couple of things. He starts off, he asked her for a drink, and then he basically says, if you knew the gift of God who was here, he would have given you living water, you would have never thirsted again. And she's like, dude, you don't have a bucket? 
And are you better than Jacob? This is weird, this whole living water thing. So Jesus explains it a little bit more. He says, no, if you, if you drink of this, you'll never be thirsty again. And, and at this point, you should have been figuring out, he's, he's using a metaphor here. He's not, uh, he, he's not talking about literal water, but in verse uh, 15, I, I think she's kind of, she just really isn't interested. She's like, uh, sir, give me the water so I won't be thirsty or come down here to draw water again, right? It's hot to walk all out here. Just give me the water and let me get out of here. Then he says, go call your husband, right? Which we said was revealing what she was running to to satisfy her apart from Jesus that wasn't satisfying her. And, and then he says, and she says, I have no husband. He says, you're right. You've had five and the one you're currently living with isn't your husband. At that point, you know, she's kind of like, ooh, all right. Um, what do we do with this? So she then says, sir, this is 19, I perceive you're a prophet. Now remember, at this point, there weren't, the, the, the Samaritans only had the first five books of the Bible. And so it ends at Deuteronomy. And so uh, they did have prophets, but the prophets that pointed to the Messiah, at least more, most directly, uh, they didn't have in their Bibles. And so I wonder if she was just kind of thinking, what can I say to make them figure out like I'm kind of getting this? Oh, I see you're a prophet, right? But we see with Nicodemus, he did that and he completely missed Jesus. So that's when we get to verse 20. And, 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 and this, you know, read along with this. Ask yourself if this next statement makes sense. Go get your husband. You don't have a husband. The one you're living with now is not your husband. I think you're a prophet. And then this. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Is that odd to you? It should be. That's a weird follow-up to his statement, right? It's like, hey, your shoes are untied. You're like, oh, look, an eagle. Go birds, right? And so it's just kind of like... What was she trying to do? Here's what's happening. Here's why she started talking about the mountains. You remember this picture last week? This was probably the view uh, that Jesus and this woman had. This is Mount Gerizim uh, in the town where they were. And, and, and Mount Gerizim had a, an important place both in the lives of the Israelites but also in the Samaritans. Mount Gerizim was a place where there was a pronouncement of blessing for the keeping of the covenant uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, but it was also a place where, you know, Mount Ebal is another mountain right next to this or pretty close to this. Mount Ebal is where God's people ended up building an altar to worship. The Samaritans were like, no, we don't want to, you know, go y'all's direction. We're going to come over here and we're going to build our own altar and place of worship. And ultimately the temple where they believed they were supposed to go and worship God, which was different than how God's word had commanded them. And so, in some ways, theologically, this makes sense. She's like, uh, 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 I got to scramble. I got a question. Theological question for the theological guy. Which mountain, Jesus? This one or this one? I don't want to talk about who I'm living with at this point. That's essentially what she's doing. She's redirecting him, kind of like our quarter here. And so, let me just ask this Have you ever found yourself using theological misdirection rather than worshiping Jesus the way he calls us to? Have you ever done that? And here's where I want to be careful. I think categories like wrestling and doubt and asking the really hard questions of our faith are important. In fact, I think that's sometimes where our faith is developed the most. I think that's what the Psalms of Lament are. A third of the Psalms is Jesus asking hard questions of God. Here's the difference between a lament and a deep heart wrestling with good theological issues and theological misdirections, which could be using the same category. Lament is asking that, same, that question of God, going to Him. Theological misdirection is, uh, 
you know, I don't believe in this horrible doctrine that I disagree with and culturally isn't accepted, so I'm just going to ignore Christianity altogether. There's a difference. One, you're going to God, you're taking it seriously, you're wrestling in the depth of your soul. The other one you just kind of throw out as a card of, this is why I don't want to pay attention to Christianity. It's basically, I just don't want to talk to you, and God, I don't care. There is a difference. You know, I've walked through those seasons of doubt. That's why I don't want to... um, negate that category because it really is through those valleys where the Lord has met me in the deepest ways when I'm doubting, when I'm wrestling, when I'm asking the hard theological questions. But you know, here's where I would say the difference usually lies. I've been in ministry for 20 years, campus ministry for almost a decade, and there is a difference between somebody who comes to you and says, I have this deep theological question, uh, and they really sincerely want to wrestle it out. Usually I'll say, hey, this is a big one, so uh, let's read this thing together. If it's an article or a portion of a book or now you watch some sort of video, and then let's come back and discuss it. And, and you know, the ones who come back and really do the wrestling, those are the ones who's like, you're truly wrestling. But for many others, it's just usually a, hey, look, blow on my hand here, and then you run, right? You run for the hills. It's what the woman at the well did. I don't think she really cared about this deep theological issue. I think she just wanted to get off the hot seat. And so let me just ask you, do you ever practice worship misdirection? Where you're just trying to fool God and get out of Dodge without having to deal with that uncomfortable thing that maybe the Holy Spirit wants to bring to the surface to draw you to himself. Well, here's the beautiful part about Jesus is he still engages her. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't heap more guilt on top of the guilt and shame that, are, that he, uh, she already has. In fact, he walks her through this idea of calling her to worship in spirit and in truth. Here's the cool part. She says, hey, where are we going to worship, this mountain or this mountain? And Jesus is like, okay, I'll, I'll follow that thread. He leans into worship, and he says, believe me, there's a day coming where neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem you will worship. He's patient with her. He enters into those theological questions. And friends, if you are talking about Jesus to other people, this is a good example for us to follow. You know, when people do throw up the smoke screens, lean into it. Because the truth is, is there's probably some deep chord of their heart that that does speak to, right? So how can you investigate and be curious rather than coming out and going, well, here's my 10 points that is going to respond to this. Usually that misdirection is trying to keep you away from their heart. They're not looking for you to just really attack the head. And so let me just encourage you, engage in that way. Maybe over Thanksgiving. How about that? Let's talk about worship for a second since he engages with it. Uh, I've said this before, but, but I'd really love for us to own this idea. Every single person in this room is a worshiper. You are worshiping something. It may not be God, but you are worshiping something. Here's uh, a kind of a crude definition of worship, but it's to give homage to something because it or they are worthy of it. And this is usually how it plays itself out uh, in adoration and thanksgiving, sacrifice, prayers, making vows, giving of money. That's usually how we worship. Did you read in the news this week? There was a huge worship event that happened. It literally broke the internet. Did you see it? Swifties everywhere, right? She, she released, you know, what, two million tickets and basically broke the internet. It was unbelievable. Now, this is tongue-in-cheek. I'm not saying if you're going to a Taylor Swift concert, you're worshiping her. Uh, but there's a lot to the Taylor Swift thing that feels like worship, right? Was there adoration? Yes. Was there thanksgiving? Not much, actually, because of Ticketmaster. Um, 
Was there sacrifice? Hours in front of the television. Were there prayers? A lot more than usual, probably. Um, making of vows, I don't even want to go there. Giving of money, certainly. Now, now tongue-in-cheek, think about all the things we make sacrifices for, we give money towards. Just because we do, it doesn't mean we're worshiping it, but I think it means we should pay more attention than we usually do as to what we are offering our homage to on a day-to-day basis. Is it God? Is it something else? What are we primarily worshiping? Ourselves, our careers, our kids, the eagles, right? Whoever. Biggest worship services of, of, the, of the week go on on Sundays in stadiums across America, don't they? Here's what Jesus shepherds her to. He draws her to worship that she can know. Worship that she can know. Verse 21, it's not going to happen in either of these places. And he's basically saying, uh, the temple's here or there, it doesn't matter. There's a new temple. Do you remember back in chapter 2, in three days I'm going to tear this temple down and in three days I'm going to rebuild it? Jesus is saying, I become the place of worship. He keeps going. i got to flip my page here. Whoops. In verse 22, or in verse 23, he guides her to, um, or he says in verse 23, an hour is coming where you worship in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And so, and so Jesus is arriving and he's changing the scene and he's saying, hey, uh, spirit and truth, that God, he's here, he's standing in front of you. And he says, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Friends, I think this is an invitation to this woman saying, I'm inviting you to come and worship me. Now he keeps going, and he starts talking about worship that is true. He said, in spirit and in truth. So spirit and truth, there's, there's a lot we can unpack here. I wrestled a lot with this idea of spirit because I've, I've grown up in cultures where that is taught as, okay, it's this transcendental experience where we just kind of get down into our gut. And, and you know, I don't think that's what he's talking about here at all. And I say that because 24 gives a little bit of an explanation where it says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When he's defining God here, uh, what he's saying is, is this is who God is like. He's the stuff of heaven. Clint talked about this a while ago. He's not the stuff of earth. He is spirit, right? And so in part, I think he's saying, worship something that is not here on this plane, in these cosmos of this earth, but something that stands outside of it. God is invisible and divine as opposed to a human. And so I think in part, he's saying, um, the things that you worship should not be the things that look like you or that you can create, but is God, the one true God. I also think that aspect of spirit there is saying, hey, the type of worship he's looking for is the type of worship that he can give through the Holy Spirit, which is going to show up on the scene here over the course of the next, well, couple months. Um, but I think he's saying, hey, there's, there's a part of being a new creation uh, that means I want you to worship me in that way. But here's the one I want to drill down on is truth. When he says worship in spirit and in truth, truth means that we are to worship God in accordance with what he has revealed about himself. He's saying, I don't want you to make anything up about me. I want you to worship me the way I've called you to worship me. And let me maybe take the word worship out and put love. So imagine I say, hey, I'm going to love my wife in truth. What if I tell you, well, I'm going to love my wife in truth, and I'm going to love her because she just, she really, she practices, and she's really good at gangster rap, 
and she loves the Dave Matthews band, and she hates seafood just like me, and she's a night owl. I'm really going to love my wife. And what you would say if you knew my wife is, you ain't loving her in truth. I don't know who you're loving, but it ain't your wife, right? Because that's not how Sarah has revealed herself to me or to any of you. She does not enjoy practicing and and engaging with gangster rap. She doesn't like the Dave Matthews band, and that makes me sad, but I love you, and it's okay. Um, uh, She loves seafood while I don't, and and she's not a night owl, right? And, And so I think what God is saying is be careful what you're worshiping in some ways. You know, for some of us, we show up to church every Sunday and say, we worship God, but is it the God who has revealed to, uh, himself to us in a particular way? And I would just say this, the only way we can know is how he's revealed himself to us in his word, full stop. No extras. He's told us all we need to know about who he is and how he wants us to worship him. One person says, every failure in worship, in practice, and in belief can be traced back to wrong thoughts about God. Another says, what you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. Because you know what? That's how we are going to behave based on what we believe about the God of the universe who made us, who offered himself on the cross to pay the penalty of sin on our behalf so that we may have eternal life so he can make us his sons and daughters. When we start to live as orphans, you know what? We've forgotten who our God is. When we begin to self-justify, We have forgotten who our God is and what he has done on our behalf. And we'll begin to behave accordingly. When 25 and 26, and I'm going to close with this, I think that the woman at the well begins to get it. She says to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. I think she's beginning to engage and go, ooh, this guy told me everything about myself. And he's telling me some things that are beginning to make sense. I think the Holy Spirit's opening her eyes and saying, I know when Messiah's coming. I heard that from the rest of the Bible that we don't necessarily read. And I wonder if the question in the back of her mind is, could you be him? And I think his next statement makes it clear. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And we're going to see the difference that this makes here next week. As she goes to her village, and you see a whole village come to follow Jesus Christ. But maybe we just end with this. True worship is a human response to a gracious God. True worship is the human response to a gracious God. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, Wherever we're coming from as worshipers, if we're worshiping you or worshiping another, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the reality of who you are and that you are the only one who are worthy of our true worship. Not that we can't enjoy a good concert or a good football game, but Lord, we know, I think we know, when it's turned from something we simply enjoy to something that has become our everything, that we build our lives around. Lord, for those of us who have followed you for years, our worship can get disordered quickly. We can forget who you are. We fail to remember. I pray and beg you that you would correct our worship if we have walked down that road. And Father, for those who have never worshiped you and maybe have spent their whole lives trying to figure out something that is worthy of their worship, I pray that you would meet them 
like this woman at the well, in the heat of the day or uh, in the troubled hour of the soul. And Lord, that you would convince them that you are the Messiah, the Christ, who lived and died on the cross and rose again so that they may have life and life to the fullest. Lord, satisfy our thirst that we can't satisfy anywhere else. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.